Please remain standing as you're able for the word of God as it comes uh, to us through the Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, before I do that, I would remind you that uh, for the first uh, three Sundays of December and the last Sunday in November, uh, that a lot of our thinking that Mark Williams and I uh, passed on to you came from a book called It All Goes Back in the Box. And this Sunday we're also indebted to some thinking from John Ortberg. Now from Paul, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. past few days I've received from a number of people out on the street or in different businesses where I go, uh, greetings and wishes for a happy new year. I wonder, is is that a good thing? I guess the alternative would be worse if they were uh, hoping to curse my new year. But I began to wonder just how important happiness is anyway. Is it really the most important thing that can happen for us in this next year that it be happy? I was reading recently about America and the number of happiness addicts we have in our country. And a happiness addict is always a a person always in search of the next big thing, the next job, the next relationship, the next toy, the next victory, the next thrill that somehow will make their incomplete life complete. I've wondered about that. I've told you before, one of my favorite quotes about American life today came from author John Cheever. He said, when I look at middle-class America, the dominant emotion that I see exhibited is disappointment. People really aren't satisfied with what they have in life. Radio uh, talk show host in Los Angeles said he saw the perfect advertisement in the Los Angeles Times a couple of years ago. The advertisement was from a group of sex therapists, and the advertisement went something like this. Are you completely satisfied with your sex life? If not, call us. And the radio host said that was a perfect advertisement because how many of us are completely satisfied with anything? It latched on to our need for happiness and our belief that just some additional change, something new, something different, something we don't have now will bring us the happiness we currently are not experiencing. Well, that's not really the way I want to be, to be living the new year. And it's not really the wish I have for you either. I guess the wish I have for myself and for you is that we might experience a contented new year, that we might find that whatever we have in the new year is enough, and that we might find satisfaction and uh, meaning in our life as it is now, that we'll be able to say when Manu yells at us, go for three, we'll be able to say, no, no, two's okay. Two's okay. I can live with what I got. I can live with what I got. I'm reminded of Philip Yancey, the great Christian writer who went to spend a few days on a silent retreat in a a Catholic monastery. And in the monastery, the brothers showed him to his room, and it was pretty sparse, and he would spend two days there. But they said to him as they were leaving the room, Now, if you find that there's anything else you need, please let us know, and we'll explain to you how you can live without it. What a wonderful idea and thought for the new year that we might learn how to be content. Because Paul says that actually contentment is something you learn. 
I have learned to be content, he says twice to the Philippians. So here's what I want to do this morning. In the hopes of a contented new year for all of us, let me throw out a couple of hints about how I think you learn contentment in the year ahead. The first one is this. I believe you learn contentment by focusing on what you have, not on what you don't have. That you focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. Because I know for me so often, the immediate attention often goes to what I think that I lack. Some years ago, my wife was working on a Sunday at the hospital like she is today. And when she got home, she said, well, how was church today? And I said, well, it's okay. And she said, well, you know, how many people were there? And I started naming for her all the families in the church I could think of who weren't there. And she, she said, you know, that's really interesting. Most people count attendance by who is there, not by who's not there. And I recognize my tendency to focus on what I think I lack as opposed to focusing on what I have. Every December 31st, I sort of do a life inventory to prepare for the next year, and I sort of look at the various areas of my life. And and I know if I'm not careful, my tendency will be to go to those areas and think first about what's not there, as opposed to thinking about what is there. Now, John Ortberg is very helpful to me in this. When he says the key to focusing on what you have is that you you have to learn to give thanks for imperfect gifts. You need to learn to give thanks for what you have, even if it isn't exactly the way that you want. And his inspiration is Snoopy. You may remember in the old Peanuts comic strip that one Thanksgiving, Snoopy's looking in the window and everybody inside the house is enjoying turkey and having a grand time. And he's pretty down about it as he goes back to his dog bowl, you know, full of of his dog food. And then he stops and he said, but it could be worse. He reasons to himself, I could be the turkey. It could be worse to learn that, that, you know, when you go in the parking lot and you get into your car, but somebody next to you has got a much hotter car. I mean, you think, well, I have a car. It, it could be worse. And you go into your house and you look at your neighbor's house or their yard and you're thinking, well, I don't have what they have, but, but you have something. It could be worse. And then tomorrow morning when you get up, you look at your spouse and you, no, don't go there. Okay. But, but learning to give thanks for what you have the way it is. One of my uh, helpful practices in my life has been to make a gratitude list. And some of you know this. I keep it in my devotional Bible. Starts with being thankful for what God has done, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then continues with being thankful for my family and then the people who shaped me. And I go down from there. and And I call it a gratitude list. And it helps me focus on what I have, not on what I don't have. But I do have to tell you, it's not exactly foolproof. I was uh, reading um, an author several years ago, and he was talking about his life and all the things for which he was thankful. And I thought it summarized my life so well that I I cut it out out and um, Xeroxed it, rather, cut it out and put it on my bulletin board in my office. And and what he said was this, that I'm thankful to God for the body I have. It's not perfect, but but it works for the most part. and, And I can walk and talk and do things that a lot of people can't. And I'm thankful to God for my family. They're in reasonably good health, and a lot of people don't enjoy the kind of family relationships I have. I thank God that, in, that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'm assured of life that's forever, and a lot of people don't know that. I thank God, he continues, that God's given me a gift and talent, and I'm able to use it, and people actually uh, pay me to do this, and I can make a difference in the world. And he said, and then when I look at that list, I think, it's great to have all these things. And then if I had a really cool car, then I'd be forever grateful. And I thought, that's sometimes my attitude. That what I have isn't isn't quite 
quite enough. Just something else. And I focus on what's not there as opposed to what is there. So I think, to, I think contentment starts by focusing on what you have as opposed to what you don't have. Then I think contentment continues to grow and be learned by a practice that Paul himself practiced, we know from reading the book of Philippians, which is written from prison. And that is this, that in all situations you focus on God more than the circumstance. Paul is in prison and yet he's able to read, uh, say what we read earlier today, which was rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. He's able to say, I've learned to be content, whatever the situation, because his focus is beyond his current circumstance to God. And I think when you get this kind, to get this kind of focus, what we need to begin to do is to see the world the way God sees it. You know, we usually kind of see it at, 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 at eye level or sea level, what we can see, rather than a God level. But when I begin to look at life from God's level and focus on how God might view my life in the world, some interesting things come up. The first one is this. When I look at how God might focus on and think about my sense of entitlement desires, I get a whole different picture. You see, I believe that God doesn't think that I need to have everything I want to have. That I don't think God believes I'm entitled to have anything I see that I want. You see, I remember I was helpful, helped one time when a person said, I wondered why God doesn't give me everything I want. And then I thought to myself, well, as a parent, would I give my kids whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted it? Friends, there are debris of broken lives all around our community from people who were given things before they were ready for them, things for which they had no responsibility, things that they had not earned, things they had no idea how to handle, but they just wanted it, and they were given it. And difficulties ensued from that point. I thought about yeah, why should God give me everything I want at the moment I want it when I'm wise enough not to do that for my kids? I thought about what John Ortberg said uh, one day. He talked about a girl who all she wanted when she was five years old was a Happy Meal at McDonald's. One day they were driving past McDonald's and she tried to talk her parents into stopping there. And they said, no, she said, but I want the meal and the toy. And they said, oh, come on, the toy's not going to last more than 30 minutes. It's plastic. It's, it's going to break. And, and she said, please. And they said, no, no, it's not a good idea. Let's go home and eat. And, and maybe we'll find you a nice toy later. And she said, please, if you get me that Happy Meal, I won't ever ask for anything ever again. Well, they couldn't resist that. So they pulled in. And she got the Happy Meal. She was five years old. And she grew up, she had a difficult life in junior high. The, the kids uh, made fun of her for uh, different things revolving around, you know, a gangly junior high sort of appearance. And then, and then senior high, it didn't go a lot better. But when she went off to school, she met somebody, got married. And, well, quite frankly, he was a louse. And he ran off and left her with three kids. A single mom, she had to work two jobs to, to support her kids. But they weren't even grateful to her. They didn't seem to care or notice. But you know what? She never complained because she kept thinking, you know, when I was five years old, I got that Happy Meal. Do you believe that? Of course not. Ortberg says, only a child believes that a change in circumstances will bring them contentment. Only a child believes that if I could get that Happy Meal, everything would be all right. Because what happens? Sometimes we carry this childish attitude into adulthood, and what happens is the Happy Meals just get bigger and more expensive, but they're Happy Meals nonetheless. They don't really change 
our life at all. And I think, I think God knows that. God knows this basic principle that if you're not content with what you have now, you're not going to be content. Or to put another way, more will never be enough. If what you have now is not enough, more is not going to fix it. You remember that classic line from uh, John D. Rockefeller when they asked him, well, yeah, Mr. Rockefeller, just how much money is enough? And he said, oh, just a few dollars more. Just a few dollars more. If what you have now isn't enough, God knows it won't be. And so God is very careful about what God's going to give us and when God's going to give it to us. And the second thing is when you focus on God and the circumstances and you sort of get a God's eye view of the world, you realize that God's timing's a little different than mine. You know, when I want something, you know, I want it now. You know, and if I want it for Christmas, I don't want to wait for St. Patrick's Day. I want it now. But for God, time just stretches out so much larger. And, and God can see not only this moment, but the moment after that, and the moment after that, and, the, and a moment after that. And God's perspective on when something would be right for us is a whole lot different than my perspective on when something would be right for me. And when we learn to trust God's perspective, we can live a little more contently regardless of the current situation. At uh, Thanksgiving, most every year in this church, we sing a hymn written uh, uh, 400 years ago by Martin Rankert. And it's called, Now Thank We All Our God. This is what's interesting. He wrote it in the middle of a plague that had killed half of the inhabitants of his town. As a pastor, he had buried almost half of the people who lived in his town... And he penned this hymn, Now Thank We All Our God. He had some sense of life and things that were beyond just this current moment. He had a little longer perspective. This was illustrated, uh, I think for me, in a helpful way by a letter that a girl wrote home. Uh, You may have heard this from college. Some years ago, she wrote this, Dear Mom and Dad, I have so much to tell you. Because of the fire in my dorm set off by the student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to go to the hospital. While I was there, I fell in love with an orderly, and we've moved in together. I dropped out of school when I found out I was pregnant, and he got fired because of his drinking, so we're going to move to Alaska where we might get married after the birth of the baby. Signed, your loving daughter. P.S. None of that really happened, but I did flunk my chemistry class, and I wanted you to keep it in perspective. (laughs) For her own benefit, she saw a past. The current situation and tried to help her parents see the same. When we get a a view of the world the way God sees it, we realize it's not just this moment. Our our contentment is not based on just what we are doing and what's happening in the current moment, but on the fact that God knows and that God cares and it's much bigger and longer than the time in which we are involved in, in the moment. It's interesting to me to read a survey done uh, a few years ago. They took 22 lottery winners and compared them with 22 people in the general population and then compared them to 29 other people I'll talk about in a moment. And this is what they found. The 22 lottery winners, compared to the 22 subjects from the general population, they found out that in the first three months, the satisfaction level with life among the lottery winners was much higher than the general population. After six months, it had dropped even. And after two years, the lottery winners were less happy and content and satisfied with their life than the general population. And then they took these same 22, and they compared them to 29 victims of paralysis. 
whether through illness or accident. And this is what they found. In the first three months, the lottery winners had a higher level of satisfaction. After about six months, they were about equal with the people who were victims of paralysis. And at the end of two years, the victims of paralysis had a deeper satisfaction with life, not only deeper than the 22 lottery winners, but also with the general population as well. The researchers said, obviously there's something going on here, that there is more to life than either what we have or what we are able to do. There must be something else. Well, I can't speak for those 29 people. I don't know. I don't know them individually. I don't know what it was for them. But I do know what it was for Paul. Paul, in the midst of every situation, knew that God was present. No matter what he had, no matter what he didn't have, he knew that he was not alone. So here's the deal with contentment. If you don't have God, Whatever you gain in this current year will not be enough. And if you do have that sense of life with God, whatever you do have will be considered by you superfluous. 